Welcome back to Real Talk, a podcast focused on the reality of chronic illness. Every week, I'll speak with new guests to bring you an inside perspective for Unfiltered Fridays. Here, we'll talk about dating, mental health, invisible illness stigma, balancing school with a condition, and more. I'm your host, Melody Olander. I'm a life blogger, Instagrammer, healthcare solutions grad, and founder of the nonprofit, But You Don't Look Sick. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Real Talk. Today, I'm going to be talking with Noelle Ellie. Noelle is an actress, director, wellness advocate, and CEO of Noelle Ellie Productions. We talk about the balance of work life, health, and self-care. This balance isn't easy, but we discuss how we manage to prioritize our health and self amidst the sea of needs. Noelle, if you don't mind starting us off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? Well, my name is Noelle Ellie, and I am an actress and director, producer, a wellness advocate, and um, the CEO of a production and PR company called Noelle Ellie Productions. That is amazing. And honestly, why I really wanted to talk to you, because I know with juggling all that and a chronic condition, it's a lot, like more than most people know and are aware of. I mean, even for us recording, we had to reschedule because you were having some things going on with your health and then I needed time to recover with my health stuff as well. So that's just how the life works when you have a chronic illness. Can you talk a little bit what that has been like for you? Oh man, it's been so gnarly. It's so crazy because I didn't know I had chronic, you know, illnesses until my diagnoses. And uh, so I thought it was normal to have back pain that is so excruciating. It takes your breath away when you go to sleep at night or to be tired all the time. I thought, well, yeah, of course I'm tired. I run a company. I'm, I'm on set. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You know, so I made excuses for all of it. And then One of the like aha moments was a couple months ago, I was on a clubhouse panel and one of the other panelists was Dr. Jess. Um, If you guys don't know Dr. Jess, I think her handle is Dr. Jess MD on Instagram. She's amazing. And we were talking about things for self-care and self-love. And I was saying like what I do, which is like, you know, the infrared sauna, meditating, Epsom salt baths, this and that. And Dr. Jess said, you know, those are things you should be doing all the time and they should light you up and they should give you so much joy and, and energy. And I kind of pushed back a little bit and I was like, yeah, but what if those things make you exhausted? And she was like, Noel, healthy people don't get exhausted from that. And I was like, she was like, when you are able to really heal, you won't be tired from doing those things. And that's when I was like, oh, right. So I've very long winded answer is I have had to give myself so much grace because like what's happening in my life right now is so massive and I'm so tired and I have no energy. And I just keep having to remind myself like, Noel, you're getting this energy back. This isn't forever. This is just a right now thing. Give yourself some grace. So there's been a lot of grace being given. 
And I think those are two really important things that you just touched on. One, how a lot of us, a lot of the time, don't even realize how seriously sick we might be because, and I think a lot of it is with, I guess, society, how we all are kind of workaholics and we push ourselves. And a lot of us are really busy individuals doing a lot of stuff. And yeah, like you said, a lot of us are like, oh yeah, of course I'm tired. I'm exercising or I'm working 12 hours a day, X, Y, Z. And then when you really stop and you talk with other people and they're like, uh, I'm doing the same thing and I don't feel that way. Then you're like, oh crap, maybe this isn't normal. <laughs> and it was the same thing for me. I have multitude of conditions that some I had throughout childhood that I didn't know I had until later in life. And one of them being EDS and I just assumed I broke really easily. I've shattered my right arm. I've broken my left arm twice. I've dislocated my knee a multitude of times. I've torn ligaments in my other ankle, but I used to be a dancer and I was like, oh, well, it makes sense. I'm athletic, I'm a dancer. That's probably why I'm hurting myself all the time. And then later when I actually got that diagnosis and they were like, yeah, stuff will dislocate really easily. Bones are really fragile and break. I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. I just kind of thought everyone broke apart that easily. And <laughs> it's things like that, that you really don't even notice without, I guess, the proper knowledge and education and talking with others, like in this community that you find and that you build and you have, how are you managing that now with how busy you are and I know you said that you give yourself a lot of grace which is important I have to give myself that reminder daily to just allow myself to feel whatever I need to feel and if I can't do it that day it's okay and I don't need to push myself but how has that worked for you with owning your own company and being an actress and really all the things that you have going on you know, it's, it's been hard. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I recently parted ways with my commercial agent because I didn't, you know, I, with commercials, especially, you know, sometimes you'd have three to five auditions a week and I didn't, I didn't want to do them. I didn't want to, I'm too tired. I'm like, it's not a priority. My priority right now is healing. And so that was really hard, especially for my ego, because my ego wanted to be like, no, you can do this. You say you're an actress. What are you doing? You know, and it's like, no, no, no. And then I've I've had to let go of a lot of clients as well. One of the biggest things the last two years has taught me is wealth without health means nothing. You know, I had to also ask myself, like, you're working so hard, you're busting your ass doing all of these things, but you're not really going within and, and, and working on yourself. What's it for them? So, so you can have these nice things, but then still feel like shit. So it's been, <laughs> it's been very tricky, but it's also really almost gratifying when I get, not that I want these like bad test results, but I'll get blood tests back. And my doctor out in California, Dr. West, we got our recent blood test and she was like, let me ask you a question. Are you working? And I said, yeah. And she goes, how? And I said, what? And she was like, everything is shot. It, you are a shell of yourself right now. Like all your, all your, your numbers, your results are, are terrible. You actually need to be on a beach in the sun healing. That's, and she was like, that sounds amazing, right? For anyone. And she was like, but that's actually what you need for your health. And so it was also a wake up call, but yet 
gratifying in the sense of like, okay, Noel, you've been able to still run a thriving business and like do these things on paper that look great, but like just heal. It's okay to just heal. So that's, I'm, I'm sort of in this like new phase where I'm kind of going to step away from everything for a couple months and see if I can do just that. And I think that's really amazing. And honestly, I remember being there myself and I remember kind of the same conversation with my doctor uh, a couple years ago. So I went undiagnosed for a few years. I got really sick at 17 randomly one day. I woke up blind in my left eye, excruciating pain throughout my entire body. Uh, my mom took me to the ER. They had no idea what was going on. So they medically sedated me to prevent any like brain swelling or anything. Wow. Kept me sleeping for like a week and a half. Still couldn't find what was going on. <laughs> I ended up actually checking myself out of the hospital because I was supposed to be graduating for um, high school that week. <laughs> so I left so I could walk my graduation. And over the next few months, I got horribly worse, right? I just kept pushing myself because I was like, well, if doctors can't find anything, there's probably nothing wrong, right? And I feel like that's kind of something that we tell ourselves like, okay, if it was worth stopping for, I should just keep pushing myself and try harder. I just kept getting sick. I got underneath the hundred pounds. I would drink water and immediately throw it up. I was passing out constantly. And at the same time too, I was a fashion model. That was my interest. That was what I was doing constantly working 12 hour days or longer, being a fashion model while in school and in college. And then when I finally got a doctor who saw my diagnosis and did that blood test, they're like, you're past the point of adrenal fatigue. They're like, you're beyond the point of even adrenal exhaustion. They're like, how are you doing anything? And I'm like, well, I'm in school full time and I'm working full time. And they're like, that's not even possible. Like you need to drop out of everything and just relax. And for me, I was like, no, I can't. I need to finish school. I need to finish this. I struggled really over the next few years because they found a rare neurological disease that caused a lot of issues and symptoms. But really, ultimately, what I realized I needed to do, and it was really hard for me because I'm a type A personality. I'm like very similar to yourself. Like we want to work. It's gratifying for us. I really had my family like, sit me down. They're like, you need to stop. Like you are going to kill yourself if you keep going at this rate. And for me, I was like, all right, I'll keep going to school, but I'll stop working. That's my compromise. And they were like, all right, we think you're kind of crazy, but <laughs> we'll at least agree to that. And I really did just need to drop everything. And I really needed to refocus on myself and every aspect. It's not just a little piece. It's not like taking your medications. It's everything, who you're surrounded with, are the people around you understanding, are the doctors around you understanding, are you happy, are you stressed out, and for me, that was just such a little thing that I never realized before was my stress, and it sounds so simple, but for me, I was having so many flare-ups just by getting stressed. Someone would argue with me, and I would notice for the rest of the day, I would feel horrible, and I would have to be in bed, and now I realize stress isn't worth it for me. If something doesn't make me happy, it's not worth my time. If someone doesn't make me happy, it's yeah. not worth my time. 
And I wanted to know if that's something you've gotten to. Oh, yeah. Do you know Dr. Joe Dispenza? Have you heard of him? Yes. So, you know, he talks about how our bodies become programmed to stress. So like I had a very loving family, but it was very tumultuous. And I mean, all we knew was chaos. All we knew was stress, losing our home and our cars and like uh, everything. So like I have known my body has held on to those sense memory, that sense memory. And I've known that. So I start to find when life is too calm. Like if I look back over the years, if life was calm, I would seek out ways to bring chaos. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, you know, one of the things that's helped me in the last six months is um, I started kind of going on like a little bit of a plant medicine journey and that's really helped me. And it's really created a, an even bigger awareness. And um, I've always struggled when people have said, what's your purpose? I've always associated purpose to work, especially because when other people are asked that I would compare because they would say, well, my purpose is to bring feng shui into your home because I'm a home organizer, whatever it is. Right. And even though I know for me, especially as an actor and director, telling stories is, is huge. I, I don't know that I always resonated with like, but that's my purpose. Right. And then did you ever see the movie soul? It's the Disney movie, right? It's so good for me. That kind of like, created this other aha moment of like, oh, my purpose is to be the light. My purpose is to be the peace and to actually be the peacemaker and to bring peace and to, to feel peace. And so I have to constantly like go to that. So when I have a client who's being very particular or creating stress, I have to take a step back and say, okay, is this worth it? This is, this is disrupting my peace. Is it worth it? And if it's not, then I have to, you know, cut ways or, or part, part ways or cut ties or whatever. Um, but I feel like it's a constant remembrance of be the peace, feel the peace, see the peace. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I honestly relate to that completely because similar to what you said was when you grow up with a lot of chaos and you get used to it and living in this survival mode almost your body just gets used to it and when you are at a moment of peace it almost doesn't know what to do i had similar situations where we lost one home to a flood in california and it from el nino we lost another house in california we had so many things growing up that where you just get used to that chaos and that survival mode and I didn't really realize how much it affected me until later on in my life, looking back. And I would kind of say these things that happened to me and people would give me a look like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, and for me, then I realized it's not normal. I'm like, oh, I guess not everyone has gotten saved by Red Cross from their house flooding, (laughs) you know, (laughs) whatever it might be. And it's exactly true. What you said is like, it's reminding yourself daily and constantly to step away from that stress and allow yourself to be in that peace. Cause I think a lot of people will look at you and I don't know, I get that assumption all the time. People are like, how are you so calm? How are you so peaceful all the time? How do you not care about things? And I'm like, it's not that I don't care. It's that I realize it's not worth the energy to <laughs> care so much for your own well being to separate yourself and 
it's a hard place to get to. And it's reminding yourself every day and it's not being perfect. I know I have days where I'll accidentally slip back into that stress or overworking myself or thinking like, I can do this. Why don't I work out five days a week now or whatever, you know? And then it's stepping back and realizing, okay, no, that's going to hurt me. That's going to overwork me and overstress me. Let me give myself some gaps. Let me allow myself to take a nap in the middle of the afternoon if that's what I think I need or whatever it might be. I guess that's something too that a lot of us can relate to is fighting those ableist comments in your own head. Is that something that you kind of have to deal with and fight is having these expectations for what you quote unquote should do and then realizing, no, okay, (laughs) relaxing and sleeping today is just as beneficial as calling 10 clients or whatever it might be. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, for sure. And I, oh boy, it's, um, it's again, it's been, it hasn't been an easy process, right? Like it's um, letting go of the judgment and it kind of reminds me of, I, I had an eating disorder for like almost a decade and, you know, the thoughts were, were just, uh, Deepak Chopra says that I think it's like 85% of our thoughts are the same ones, just basically regurgitated. So I was like regurgitating all of these negative thoughts. And although I've stepped, you know, I, I've he- healed the eating disorder for many years and, and feeling really good at the same time, there's still those patterns that are very similar. And so when I say, no, you know what, even though it's Monday, I'm going to rest today. I'm going to take care of myself that ego voice wants to come in and be like, you're lazy, you're, you know, you're undeserving, whatever it is. And it's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. I love myself. I'm healing. It's okay. But it's like a constant, a constant thing of remembering to choose that happiness is a choice. I used to get annoyed when people would say that happiness is, I had a client who used to say that all the time and I get so annoyed, but it really is. It's, it's, you know, are you going to choose uh, to allow yourself to be upset over this situation? Or are you going to choose to say, I'm stepping away from this. There's nothing I can do. Let me stay in my lane and, and choose myself, you know? Yeah. I think that realization that those negative thoughts and voices in your head, it's not like they stop. It's right. When you have depression or an eating disorder or anxiety, you might always have those thoughts pop up that are oh, I shouldn't eat this because X, Y, Z, and then it's okay. And then for you to then stop and realize, okay, I acknowledge that I have this thought, but it is okay for me to eat this. I don't need to earn it. I deserve it and my body needs it. And that's what I'm going to give it. It's not like you need to punish yourself like, oh my God, I'm back to having those thoughts. I'm back to square one. It's realizing, okay, I have those thoughts. Let me take a moment and accept it, be aware of it and reframe it. And eventually you start having more positive thoughts just by (laughs) forcing yourself. Like in the beginning, it is forcing yourself. And there's so many times that now doctors are confused when they see me, when there's been times where I'm admitted in the hospital and there was a time where I had meningitis. I couldn't move. I was stuck in a wheelchair. Like my boyfriend had to like help, like prop me up out of bed. Like, cause I couldn't sit up myself and I was dying laughing. Like I couldn't think or like, but I was like laughing while crying. And like doctors are like, what's wrong with you? Like, how can you be this happy in this much pain? And I'm like, well, it sucks. And I've been in a hospital now for like two weeks. And of course this sucks, but 
I can make myself more miserable by sitting here and crying and saying, oh, I want to leave the hospital or whatever, or I can laugh and make a joke about it and talk to the nurses and talk with my friends and whatever. And yeah, it's not always easy. And yeah, we're going to have days that suck and we want to be miserable. But when you're able to make it a happy experience instead, why not do that? And like you said, happiness is a choice. And it used to annoy me too. When people would say that, I'm like, okay, yeah, if someone dies in front of me, I'm just supposed to be happy about it. Like that was kind of my thought about it. And now it's like, okay, no, not every experience is going to be happy, but you can find the positivity in it. You can see that, okay, maybe this person's death brought together the entire family that hasn't seen each other in 20 years. Maybe now it started a new connection with the family and a reunion. Maybe now you realize how fragile life is and you take advantage of every opportunity. And it's really seeing the positives in the negative as annoying, as cliche as it might sound. No, finding that silver lining. And I, I mean, that that's, you're absolutely right. That's how I, when I first heard happiness was, is a choice. God, I don't know. That was probably a decade ago. And then years later, my mom passed away and I was reminded of that, that happiness is a choice. And even then it's like, my mom was my best friend, but I saw the beauty and, you know, she had stage four metastatic breast cancer. And like, I saw the beauty that cancer did for her and for her growth and for our relationship and, you know, her death, it still sucks. I get angry and sad, of course, but I also choose to see the beauty. And I'm so grateful because now I have this capacity to not only love more, but, but grieve more and feel more. And it just really shows you how, how strong you are. Yeah. And I agree completely. And I think, unfortunately, as much as those situations are hard and they're painful and they suck, unfortunately, at times suffering is necessary. I feel like it gives us that depth and that understanding and the really the understanding of the beauty of life. How do we understand how fragile and how beautiful and amazing it is? If Imagine if we lived forever, we would take everything for advantage. We wouldn't necessarily understand how fragile and crazy things really are. But when you see how fragile it is and how it can be gone within a second, you know to take every day to its full opportunity. And you know every day, I need to be happy and I need to tell the people I love that I love them because this might be the last time I see them. And when you experience that, it's really a different understanding of life that I notice between my friends who have experienced those things and the ones that haven't. It's a deeper understanding for each other. And you feel, like you said, sadness even greater and more deeper than some people, but you feel happiness and you see the beauty more than others do as well. Yeah. And Mother Teresa says without suffering, without suffering, there can be no compassion. And it's so true. And so whenever anyone talks to me about that, I always have to say out loud to them, but also to myself to remind myself of, but without suffering, there could be no compassion. So it's like, there haven't been many times that I've felt like, why me? Why do I have, you know, 10 plus fibroid tumors in my stomach and Lyme disease and co-infections and multoxic, you know, there hasn't been much, but if that even starts to sprinkle in, I'm grateful. I try to be grateful because I know that I can help spread awareness around it. And I now have been opened up to this whole new world of, of uh, you know, 
chronic communities of people who are looking for like-minded people who have been through these things. And I don't necessarily know that I had as much compassion or understanding around chronic illness until having been through it. So, you know. Yeah. Even if you see people around you who have a chronic illness, or I don't know if your mom had one before you did, but growing up, my mom had celiac disease and she almost passed away when we were young because it went undiagnosed for so long that she ended up in the intensive care and they're like yeah she has less than a week to live if that uh she was like throwing up blood she was severely underweight and somehow she managed to pull through it and that gave me the understanding that like we said life is fragile and it can be taken away but it didn't give me that understanding of compassion of suffering firsthand until years down the line, I actually went through it myself. And I really realized the extent now of having dietary requirements, the extent of being exhausted and struggling every day and what it feels like for your body to, I mean, your body's supposed to be there for you. It's supposed to be <laughs> the one part that's like easy, right? That you don't need to think about. And when you're waking up every day exhausted and in pain and having to assess what your pain level is and what your symptoms are of that day, it really gives you a new level of compassion. And for me, I just kind of see it as everyone's struggling, whether we talk about it openly or not. I see it that everyone's struggling and the people that are being mean, it's because they're struggling. If someone's being nice, I assume they've probably struggled and realized to be a nice person. And I really see people in a different light than I did before. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I always have to say to my husband, if, if him and I are at the, the grocery store and the cashier's giving us a toot or whatever, you know, if he wants to mouth off, not, you know, to me, like what's their problem? I have to say like, let's sprinkle a little bit of light. And, you know, cause can you imagine how our consciousness would change if every single person in the world just once a day said, you know what, this person has a bad attitude. I'm going to help turn it around or at least try to like give them a little peace or a little joy or a little light. Can you imagine what would happen? And, and so again, it's just that, like, I feel like this is the theme, but that remembrance, you know? Yeah. And I agree with that completely. And it's something I try to tell people is as this society I feel like is very much in a rush and doesn't want to connect with others and if someone has an attitude with you give them an attitude back but me and my family we're the same way if someone has an attitude with us we try and make them laugh we try and get them to smile before we leave and like we're like and we always joke and we're like at least we got you to smile you know and it's not always easy to do that and it might be awkward and you might just get a weird look back from them but it might also be the best part of their day they might have gotten a bad phone call and similar to you I always say hurt people hurt people mm. you don't have someone having a perfect life going through everything decide to go outside and be like I'm gonna be a jerk today yeah. <laughs> the yeah. person who cut you off maybe they're rushing to the hospital because someone close to them got injured or their baby's about to be delivered. Let them cut you off. What's it, what's it going to do to you that one millisecond? Yeah. Imagine if we all just let each other go in traffic or in line, how different would life be? Or if we just smiled and said, thank you, the little things that 
connect us with one another. I think that changes the world completely. Yep, absolutely. Why not last question for you, if you don't mind. I know we touched about a few of the different conditions that you had. What has this, I guess, journey been for you going from undiagnosed to diagnosed? Has it been a struggle and a process? Because I know some people struggle with finding Lyme literate doctors at all. And some people struggle for years to even get that positive diagnosis. Once you decided to go on that journey of, all right, I'm going to try and figure out what's going on. What was that like for you? Was it easy? Was it hard? No, no, no. It was very difficult. So in 2018, it started out as I had something in my stomach. So like an inch around and it felt like a knot. And one of the things when I was really, truly healing myself of my eating disorder, I would talk to my body. So I would wake up in the morning and like rub my tummy and thank her for digesting properly and, you know, being healthy. And, and I, I did it and I noticed this like lump. I was like, that's strange. So after a few months, I went to a doctor and she goes, I don't notice anything. Maybe you ate too much. And I was like, no. She's like, maybe get an ultrasound, but I wouldn't be worried about it. So that was in 20, God, all the years are blurring together. That was either 2017 or 2018. But then fast forward, I move into this home in 2019. So that was in 2018, in 2019. And I noticed this lump getting larger and larger. And I was like, that's weird. And I, I had already a very healthy lifestyle. I, you know, was working out five to seven times a week, doing yoga, running. I had a mindfulness meditation practice. Um, you know, I'm spiritual. Like I was doing all the things on paper, right? So I didn't know what was happening. And I then was walking down the street in Santa Monica and I saw this flyer and it said, do you have horrible PMS? Do you have mood swings? Do you have this? Do you have that? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then it said, you may have fibroids. So then I went home and I Googled what are fibroids and um, 90% of the time they're benign tumors, but they're tumors in your uterus. So I then started putting in my symptoms and I went down the WebMD route and it was like, it's either fibroid, fibroid tumors or ovarian cancer. So then of course I like went down the rabbit hole of my mom passed away from cancer. So of course I would have cancer, whatever. Right. But I finally went to a doctor and the doctor right away was like, Oh, you have two fibroids. Great. She said, you need to get them removed and I'm going to send you to a specialist. I went to a specialist. He said, yes, I see the two let's do the surgery. But before we do the surgery, get an MRI just to be sure there's only two. That's all I can see. So it started out kind of innocently of like, I have these fibroid tumors. And that's what we need to do. And doctors were, I went to several doctors. They all were like, you need to have the surgery to get them removed. But instead of, and this has been the biggest thing, you have to be your own advocate. You have to be your own advocate. We can't take, you know, doctor's words as, as Bible, right. As fact always, because we know our own bodies and we have to trust that. So then from there, I just kept digging and digging and digging. And I found out from the MRI that I had 10 plus fibroid tumors in my stomach. And 
I went to other doctors and um, some integrative doctors and they said, well, you have parasites. That's probably, you know, that's what's going on. You also have a lot of parasites. I went to an, a reproductive endocrinologist to talk about freezing my eggs because I have these tumors, what's going on? They couldn't even get to my, my ovaries because the fibroids are blocking them. I then, they shifted and similarly to, so you mentioned earlier how we were supposed to have our conversation and I, I had to let you know, I was afraid I was going to have to go to the hospital in 2020. I had been driving across the country and the fibroids had shifted. And as a result, one was sitting on top of my colon and one was sitting on top of my bladder. So I was unable to eliminate I was in such pain and I've never had thoughts like this that I said to God, if this is what I have to live with, take me, I'm good. I, I don't, this is, it was excruciating. Luckily I went to the ER and we were able to, you know, fix the situation, but it was awful. And so just a couple of weeks ago, the same thing happened, but because I had already been through that experience, I knew what to do and what to expect. I was able to talk myself down off the ledge. Do you know what I mean? Anyways, back to the fibroids, kept going to doctors and every single one of them kept saying, get surgery. But I knew that that was a band-aid. I wanted to get to the root of the issue. What's causing the fibroids? And not one doctor could tell me. So then I went to a doctor who did muscle testing. He did kinesiology and he said, oh my gosh, Noel, I know you, I know your lifestyle. I know your diet. I know you, you are like the epitome of health to look at you. Who knew you were so messed up? You have so much going on. Your body has told me it has Lyme disease. It has mold. It has parasites. It has EBV. And he basically like listed off, you know, all of these things. And I went home and just cried. I stayed strong in the room and I cried because the only other person at the time I knew that had Lyme disease had seizures all the time and was in and out of the hospital and had it so bad. So I thought, oh my God, this is my life. So then from there, I went to more doctors who wanted me to start on antibiotics and be on antibiotics for like four years. Again, but why do I have the Lyme? What's happening? After, after the, the, the kinesiologist told me I had Lyme, I needed scientific proof. Why would I listen to my body? I need the blood work. So I went to all of these conventional doctors who did CDC testing. And you know, as you probably know, a lot of the CDC testing, you can get false negatives. And so instead of just taking that and saying, oh, well, I don't have Lyme disease, this guy was wrong. I then dug further and got Igenics test. And from the Igenics test, that then showed me, it tested me against lots of other Lyme, you know, uh, tick-borne diseases and co-infections. And that's then when I was officially diagnosed with Borrelia, Babesia, Rickettsia, Bartonella. So from there, doctors wanted me to be on antibiotics. And this was integrative doctors, but I, I didn't want to do it. My intuition said not to. I didn't know why. They said, you're going to feel better. And multiple doctors said this to me. I said, I need to trust my body. It's telling me not to take it. So then from there, I found more doctors. So I got like second and third and fourth opinions from doctors until I really wholeheartedly felt strongly about a specific doctor. So I found one on the East Coast and 
she wanted me to come out there. She's a wonderful doctor, very knowledgeable, wanted me to come out there, spend like $30,000 on treatment, but she felt very confident that she could really help me. So I was set to do it. And she even said, just take antibiotics for a month. Still, I said, no, not from ego, just like wholeheartedly knowing it was a no. We did further testing. She came back and said, Noel, I'm so glad you listened to your intuition. You are actually not a candidate for antibiotics. And had you taken antibiotics, you would be in bed. You would not be able to lift your head. So that was like a sign of trust yourself, trust your intuition. And then from there, I was set to fly out to the East Coast to get treatment. The night before, I told my husband, I can't go. He said, why? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just not supposed to go. I have no tangible reason. He said, don't you want to heal? Of course I want to heal. I'm not supposed to go. I don't go. Fast forward now, two months later, we find out there is mold in our home. And had I gone and flown to the East Coast, flown to New York to get treatment and spent tens of thousands of dollars, I would have come back to this home and it would have reignited everything and the mold has what has um it may not have caused the fibroids but it what ha, it's what has um uh grown the, the the tumors and the mold is what activated the lyme disease and the mold is what is feeding all of this and i got bit by a tick when i was six years old i never got tested for lyme disease i very well may have had it from the time i was six but it just never you know, activated until the mold. And so, you know, the reason I share all of that, it's to say like, we have to get to the root cause. Doctors are, are incredibly knowledgeable and they're, they're such experts, but we are also divine experts of our bodies, right? So like there has to be some ebb and flow and trust in ourselves instead of always blindly listening to what we're told because had I gotten the fibroid removal, I would have come back to this home, they would have grown back. Had I done the Lyme treatment, I would have come back to this home and it would have react, you know? So it's like, it's been such a challenging experience, but also such a gratifying experience because if I've learned nothing else besides be your own advocate, it's to trust your own intuition. And so that is my long-winded story of, of what this process has been like. When I first was diagnosed with the fibroids, that was January of 2020. So we are now the middle of 2021. And where I'm at now is through some different healing modalities that I've done. I'm pretty sure I have the Lyme at bay, but I've got to get out of this mold home. And we actually have a new place and we are in the process of moving. That's why there's like nothing behind me, but it's been a lot of like, let me go here. Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to take a right. Let me take a left. Let me go straight, you know? And so just tons of ebb and flow and tons of trusting my intuition and trusting that I'm being guided on the right healing path. And honestly, that makes me so excited to hear you talk about that because that's something I experienced as well. I was seeing a psychologist doing traditional medicine, everything. And one thing that my psychologist was like, all right, because I have an issue opening up to people. I'll be like, yeah, I'm fine. When everything's like crashing and falling. And my psychologist was having an issue getting me to open up. And he's like, I want to try something on you. Let's try muscle testing. Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, I don't know what the hell this is, but sure. And he's like, let me just see your arm. I'll ask questions. You don't need to do anything. I'm like, okay, whatever. And he starts going through and figures out all these things that I've never told him about. And I'm like, what the hell? How did you just figure that out? And it kind of freaked me out, not going to lie. Like, I was like, all right, this is kind of weird. And (laughs) I like thought about it for then I was seeing him weekly. So like, I thought about it for the rest of the week. I told my mom, she's super into integrative medicine and Western and Eastern medicine, the combination. So she was like, oh yeah, that's just kinesiology. It's super cool. Like, I was like, I don't know how he knew all that stuff. It's really weird. And then the next time we went further and we're like, he's like, let's do a body talk session. I was like, oh my God. All right. And so he just does this session and he's for one, one really big issue I was having was with EDS, it causes kind of bad keloid scarring. And so I had gotten the port removed and my scar was huge, inflamed, like it would not go down. It was painful all the time. And it was like months to where I was going to see a plastic surgeon to see if they could re close it up and it'd be less painful. And he's like, well, let's do a body talk session on it and see if we can like help that scar. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're going to help my scar with a body talk session. Sure, dude. Uh, Let him do the session. I kid you not, I get home and my scar is like not red at all. It's like all the inflammation is down. It's like half the size. I like go to my mom and I'm like pulling down my shirt. I'm like, look at my scar. And she's like, what'd you do? She's like, did you put on a new medicine? Like, did you go to the doctor? And I was like, I did a body talk session. And she was like, what is that? And we start talking about it. And I was fascinated at that point. And the next time I go there, I was like, do another one of those sessions. (laughs) From then on, like, I ended up studying and taking the classes on muscle testing and body talk for myself and becoming certified in it just because I was so fascinated by it. And like you said, just through talking to my body and following my own intuition, like, it sounds weird, but little things that I wouldn't have had even the smallest idea or known about it pops up through just listening to your body and it knows how it needs to heal and it knows what it needs to do. And the times I've unfortunately not followed my intuition. Right. I said earlier, I was doing a treatment of IVIG. It gave me meningitis and left me in the hospital and in a wheelchair for a while. And my doctor's again, for a second time, they're like, all right, that was just a one-time reaction. Like we need to do the treatment again and it won't happen again. And my gut was telling me, no, I was like, no. Like, And they're like, well, if you want to get better, this is really the only way to get better. And for me, it was just like, my gut kept telling me no. And I was like, I don't feel like I should do it. And everyone around me was like, no, you need to do it. Like you'll end up in a wheelchair dead if you don't do it. And for me, I was like, okay, I guess like I'm being stubborn. I don't, they said it won't happen again, whatever, did it, ended up again with meningitis for a second time. And I just couldn't stop kicking myself. I was like, my gut told me no. And now I'm even in a worse off situation than I was before because I didn't listen to my gut. And it wasn't until I started really trusting my gut and with muscle testing and intuition. And even I was having seizures constantly, like they're called non-epileptic seizures. So like I was literally having seizures like all day long. I was taking 
medication, uh, seizure medication four times a day to keep me from having seizures and passing out constantly. And I literally was like, I feel like I shouldn't be taking this medicine. I don't know why, but I have no issue taking pills. But when I was taking this one, it literally tasted like poison chemicals to me. I wanted to throw it. Yeah, literally. And I was like, oh my God, like I just stopped taking it. And I was like, I would rather not take this. And I was like, I feel like if I smoke, if I smoke weed, it'll help me the same because I've read. And I just started smoking weed and I just stopped taking the medication. And I haven't had any seizures in years and I haven't taken that medication in years. And my doctors got mad at me. They're like, you can't just stop taking a seizure medication. Like cannabis isn't proven to help with seizures, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I was still getting seizures while on a seizure medication. And I'm like, I haven't had any seizures at all in years now smoking. And they're like, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. That's not a whatever and I'm like okay whatever but my intuition tells me it's helping and that's what I'm gonna go with like you said it's just following your gut and it's scary at first especially because we don't have a medical degree it's not like we have this knowledge that they might have whatever and you feel like you should trust them but really if your gut tells you something's wrong or don't do it don't do it. Because looking back at these past seven years, every time my gut has told me no, it was for the best. Similar to you, I was supposed to fly out because no traditional medicine was working here. So I was actually going to fly out to the UK and get a stem cell treatment for CIDP that has been like showing to be beneficial. But then I just got a gut feeling. I was like, I feel like, like, no, you know, and everyone's like, but it'll help, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I just feel like before flying out there, like I had already sent them all my records. I had talked to all their team, everything. Like it was good to go. We were setting up a time to fly out to UK and stay there. We had already gone there before and checked out the location. And I was just like, no, I don't feel like it'll work. Like, I just feel like it's not going to be good for me. Mm -hmm. And I ended up seeing a stem cell specialist here before I flew out there. And I was like, I just need your opinion. He's like, listen, he's like, you can get the stem cell treatment. And he's like, but with how reactive your body is right now and how bad your autoimmune cells are, he's like, if you were to get stem cell, he's like, your body would just destroy the new stem cells immediately. He's like, so you would get pay tens of thousands of dollars to be redestroyed all over again. And damn, everyone kept telling me that was the way I was going to heal, you know, and I had a feeling like, no, I don't think it will. And it's true. Your gut really does tell you what you need to do. It's it's funny because I've been thinking a lot about this actually, where I, I was actually in another conversation with a friend and and she said, how do you know it's your gut? How do you know it's your intuition? And I was thinking about that because often for me, And she even asked, she was like, what does it sound like? And for me, it's like a spoken feeling. So it's not like I hear this voice or, or even my own voice. It's just like a, it's a spoken feeling. And there's often not necessarily tangible reasons why. So my dad, similarly to you, he got stem cells. He did get stem cells, but it was for, he needs a knee replacement. It was for his knee. And he spent tens of thousands of dollars getting these stem cells 
or his knee. And I had said to him before, I was like, daddy, you're not supposed to do it. And he, I couldn't give him a reason why I didn't know why I was just like, I'm telling you, you're not. And sure enough, he spent all this money. It's actually caused it him to be worse now, but because I couldn't give tangible reasons. But what I did find is like, and you can tell me if you agree, it doesn't necessarily come with fear. So it's not like it's going to cause you to get worse and you're going to be sick. It's not necessarily that it's just like a, almost like a yes or a no. I think what helps me clarify is like, if it's a fear thought, then I know that's coming from my ego. But if it's just like a yes or no, and there's not really a reason why, or it's not a scary reason, that's when I know it's my, my gut or my intuition. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I actually really agree with that. And honestly, something too that I've said is it's that first feeling that you get and that first thought. When someone asks you initially, if I say, hey, Noel, you want to come to a party with me? And your first gut instinct is no. And you can't give me a reason. You're not busy that day. You're not whatever. And so you feel guilty and you're like, yeah, yeah, I can go. I'm not busy, whatever. And maybe we go and a car accident happens or it's a really bad party or whatever, but you couldn't give me a reason. So you went and you fought that gut instinct. That's what I realize is I need to trust that first voice, that first thought that pops in my head when people ask me a question or I think, is this good for me? Whatever that first thought is before you start getting logical about it. And sometimes it doesn't make sense at all. What we were talking about with muscle testing or body talk or whatever, you'll have thoughts or someone will be like, hey, do you want a million dollars? And your first thought is like, hell no. Like, and you can feel something's weird about it, but you don't know what it is. And that's that gut feeling and that intuition that you're supposed to trust. And for me, I've learn to just trust that initial voice because whenever I don't that's when it ends up being wrong and when I try and give logic and reason and I'm like uh well I guess I don't have any reason to not go so I'll go that's when I realize <laughs> I really should have listened to my gut and I don't know it started I feel like just as a kid or a teenager you have that random gut whether it's you're at a party and you feel like it's going to go bad or you're out with friends and you feel like someone's going to fight or something. It's that little weird gut feeling that you're like, all right, I kind of feel like something's about to happen mm -hmm. and just trusting it. And the more that you trust it, the easier it is to hear that voice and hear that intuition and really yeah. be able to tell like, okay, that's just my fear talking or that's just my ego talking or, okay, no, this is really something I need to trust and follow. Yeah. I feel like it raises your vibration. And then all of a sudden you're like living in the flow. And so you're, you're directed to the right doctors and the right team members and the right community. And it's like, you know, you're having conversations like this, hopefully through us continuing to trust our intuition, that'll give permission to other people to do the same, you know? Yeah. And that's definitely what I feel is like just having these open conversations and talking about things that like you mentioned body talk and kinesiology and whatever that for you, you don't know if I'm going to think, okay, you're totally crazy. Why are you talking about <laughs> talking to your body, whatever, but you didn't know that we were going to have that in common or relate to that and have me be able to open up to you about that. And that's how life works. The more you're able to be honest and really just follow your intuition, follow your gut and be honest with yourself and others. I feel like other people feel that and they feel safe to do the same and they're able to say hey I'm struggling too or hey I feel the same 
Totally. And I, and I think too, you know, at least for me, if someone would have said to me in the beginning of this whole process, oh, just ask your body or, oh, just try plant medicine. I would, I would have judged it. I, I would have had feelings and thoughts about it, but I'm, I'm grateful that I have been open to, to sort of like this process. Cause like we were saying earlier, it's like expanded my capacity to feel and see and live. And so I'm definitely trying to continue to choose to see this whole situation as a glass half full <laughs> process, you know? Yeah. And it's hard. It's not always easy. And I know I have days where I don't feel positive and I'm struggling and I don't see it as glass as full. And I'm like, damn, everything hurts. Today sucks. <laughs> and that's okay. And I'm like, all right, maybe tomorrow will be better. Or I can find the good out of today. I can treat myself with my favorite meal, or I can call a friend and have a good conversation with them and find something good to put into the day, as opposed to focusing on the negative. Because I was the same. I would judge things if I didn't really know. And sometimes you just need to go through it yourself. And I was the same. I thought pills and medications from doctors were fine, but plant medicine was weird and drugs, right? And and it really wasn't until after I got meningitis the second time, they kept me on an IV drip of Dilaudid for <laughs> a week and a half. And so anyone who knows what Dilaudid is, it's like 120 times the strength of morphine. So it's ridiculous. And then they sent me home with a prescription of pills. And with in like the second day of getting home, I felt weird. I felt addicted to these pills. And I called my mom. I was like, it's not even time for me to take my next medication. And I feel like I need it. Like I'm craving it. And it's such a weird, toxic feeling. And I was like, I'm like, this looks like addiction from studying it in school. And I was like, but I've never felt this feeling before. So I'm like, I was tripping out and I just freaked out and poured all the pills down the toilet. And I like told him, I was like, I think I'm like about to go through withdrawals and I need help. And for the next week, I went through the worst withdrawals of my life on top of dealing with meningitis to where that's when I started smoking cannabis and used edibles and stuff. Blows my mind that I had no idea dilated is that, that intense gets me a little like fired up. Cause I'm like, that feels like malpractice. Like to put that, that just blows my mind. That's... Thank God, thank God you did. Thank God you were like, no, 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 something's wrong. Let me choose this other way. You know? Yeah. And it gave me so much compassion because when studying in school and you learn about addiction and drug addicts and whatever, you always can think like that would never happen to me. I would never let myself do something like that. And then you're in the hospital for a few weeks and they have you on an IV drip of medication and you have no choice. You're knocked out. And before you know, it, you wake up and you're now addicted to a new drug. And if you're not aware of what that feeling is, they sent me home with a 30-day supply of Dilaudid. So <laughs> I could have easily gotten ridiculously addicted. That could have been really bad. And I was aware and I was like, all right, this isn't okay. Like I feel extremely toxic. I feel like my body's not okay right now. And for me, I felt the same after looking back. I'm like, they easily could have made me addicted to drugs. I would have then been someone in the system that they didn't care about. And they would have just looked at me like a drug addict, even right. though they put me into this situation. 
Wow. That's so wild, but so incredible. I mean, that's, that's so inspiring to hear you were like, nope, I, I'm quickly recognizing this is a problem, you know? Yeah, it was, and it was scary. Like it was, like I said, something I had never experienced before. I'm, I had seen addiction in other people, but I never really cared much about alcohol or drugs or anything. Like I had a very clean lifestyle. So to then have this crazy feeling of addiction and like, it was weird. And I was like, oh my God. And it really did give me that understanding for other people and really this compassion of people who get into the situation in the first place. And it's like we said, it's easy to judge before you actually experience it for yourself. When you're in a point of survival, like I feel like we have, you lose all judgment. You are trying to do whatever you need to do to survive. And I think that's kind of a very similar thought process that we all have in this community is we don't judge one another. There's so many people that have issues with whatever it might be. And I don't think any of us look at each other with judgment. We all see each other with understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps us continue to feel seen and loved. And, you know, like I, I think that part of so much of these diagnoses and illnesses that we get there's an emotional component as well. And so, you know, the people pleaser in me wants to be a good student and do what the doctors tell me, you know, what my conventional doctors are telling me to do, but that's not what always serves me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's important to come to that realization. And mm-hmm. like we said, with plant medicine at my worst, I was taking 20 pills a day just to function with the condition that I have, it makes everything not work automatically anymore. So my stomach doesn't digest, nerves don't send in my body, my heart rate doesn't work properly. So I'll just pass out randomly, all these different things. And through plant medicine and cannabis, I'm down to two pills a day now. So I love it. It's amazing. And I just need to take something for my nerve pain and function and then for my heart to keep working. And it's so nice compared to where I was before. And when I was talking to doctors about this, like we said, they were like, yeah, that's not possible. That's not something that'll help. And for me, it's helped in so many different aspects that it makes me exciting. And like we said, to just trust your intuition and your gut and for everyone that's going to look different for me, I'm a vegetarian. I can't eat meat. It hurts my stomach, but for someone else that might be what they need to thrive and they need that iron for their anemia or whatever. And it's okay. Our healing journeys look completely different, but I think that's what makes it also beautiful and how we are less judging. I think. And Honestly, this has been an amazing conversation and (laughs) I've loved talking with you so much. Is there anything that you want to say to finish us up? Well, I I feel the same way. So thank you so much for, for having me on. And I would just say like for anyone listening with any sort of chronic illness or emotional thing going on, it's so easy to feel alone. It's, it's, 
it's that's that's so common. We're not special in that way, right? You know, no one understands, you know, sure, maybe this person has a chronic illness, but maybe they don't work as much, or maybe, you know what I mean? Like it's it's easy to go down the route of comparing and despairing. But the more I, in my experience, the more I have opened myself up to this world, the more I've been able to attract my, my tribe, so to speak, and just really connect with like-minded people and feel less alone. And there's so many, you know, whether it's on, you know, the gram or Facebook groups or whatever, there's a lot of people who will relate. And, and I've, I've found that it's often easier to connect with those who have something going on, you know? Um, so, so if you're, if you're out there and you're feeling particularly alone, know that you're seen, know that you're heard, know that you're held and, you know, we're in this together. I love that so much. Thank you so much. That was perfect. Yay. Thank you for having me.